Hey, Pronouncers, welcome back to the podcast. Exciting episode for you lined up. We've got Kevin McCracken, who was addicted to drugs, in and out of prison, and now has a $20 million shop. We're going to hear all about his journey coming up on this episode. But first, Mr. Stephen Fair, you want to pick our winner out of that? A winner? Oh, who's who's the first sponsor we're, we're going through today? Bruce, I just want to know, do you, who do you use for ink supplies or, or daddy? Is that Multicraft? <laughs> um, our number one fan, Multicraft underscore daddy heard that we wanted to give away some supplies and he answered, we're sweetening it up. Dave and PMI tape are giving away one free case per episode. And this is Multicraft daddy branded PMI tape. Um, it's for new customers to win DM and follow Dave. That's Multicraft underscore daddy. I don't know how many subscribers he has. We're going to need to check. But, 765. Ooh, let's get him to 800. Um, but, you know, we use Multicraft. They're awesome for screen printing, digital supplies. Um, mention the Printavo podcast and receive an extra 10% off your first order. Thanks so much, Dave. We appreciate you. All right, Bruce, who do we got next? Graph X Source. If you need a solution to improve efficiency and reduce costs in your art department, Graph X Source can help. Campus Inc. has two artists plugging and Three. playing. Oh, three artists plugging and playing production art, mock-ups, creative art, order management, digitizing, and customer service. Uh, Graphic Source is there. They've been in business for over 30 years. They plug into your Printavo account or whatever you use for shop management. Hit them up. Mention Printavo Pod and you get half off your first vector set or digitized order. Thanks so much, Graphic Source. Bruce, you shouldn't spend all day cleaning dirty screens. Um, Easyway's line of environmentally conscious chemicals will get the job done faster, more efficiently, and will cost you a fraction of the cost per screen. At our print shop, we use 701 and 842. I was just interviewing a student who works at another print shop in Reclaim, and I said, what do you use? And he goes, Easyway. It's the easiest way. And that's a true story. <laughs> so, And so I was, I was just like, wait, what do you use for Reclaim? A true story. So uh, if you value a company to help with how-tos, best practices, and questions, Easyway is there. Give it a go. They work with hundreds of distributors. They're awesome. No other option. Go Easyway. Supercolor is the world's best heat transfer. It's made by screen printers for screen printers. And we took a little tour of their facility, actually. And they are so deep into the chemistry and the customer service aspect of, of heat transfers. It is unbelievable. And just how they iterate and improve on their transfers. They understand the expectations that are needed from a screen printing business. And so that's why they pride themselves on being super fast and super easy. Um, I know you've been in a pickle sometimes. We had a guest on the show that's also been in a pickle with super color and they literally were bragging about how, that uh, Supercolor overnighted them what they needed to get the job done. So that's incredible. Don't forget to mention Printavo 1.5 for 15% off your order. Thanks, Supercolor. We appreciate you too. All right, let's jump on in. I, I've got a quote to start this off. Uh, and this will intro it, I think, and then we can dive in. Um, sure into everything. Cause there's a lot that I'm very fascinated about here. So Kevin McCracken saw an article, um, that had you featured in it by San Francisco standard. Um, probably no, uh, surprise here, but the title of it is formerly incarcerated swag maker, uh, counts top San Francisco tech companies as clients. And some of these are Stripe, Pinterest, Asana, Lyft, Airbnb, right? Some, some, uh, blue chip, uh, startups out there in San Francisco. And, and the quote is this, it says inside the warehouse of printmaking business, social imprints are Pinterest wine tumblers, stripes, sweatshirts, Asana's laptop sleeves, you know, and so on, so on. Um, there's all, all Airbnb's luggage tags of which that's a pretty cool, like little, uh, swag item. There's also Kevin McCracken, who fought his way through substance abuse and the criminal justice system to co-found a business that has a corner on the tech sector. Um, that's a heavy uh, two sentences right there. <clears throat> yeah, and I should be really clear. Um, in November, I'll have 25 years clean and sober. 
Um, not that many years out of the system, unfortunately, which is a whole other story, but um, <clears throat> not anything I did after I got clean. Some old stuff caught up with me later and I had to had to just take a little a little detour up to Portland and spend a little time dealing with some old issues. But yeah, that's um that's really uh an instrumental part of why social imprints came to be and what we do there. And I think it's important to to just point out that a lot of companies, especially screen printers, actually offer chances to people without maybe even knowing it. I don't think we're like the top-notch background checking industry in the world. Um, <clears throat> but there's a lot of people that come to us looking for a trade that may not have been able to do things elsewhere and find this kind of incredible opportunity to do a, a, a job that they can take anywhere in the world. So what we did at Social Imprints after Jeff and I worked at a nonprofit hiring um, return citizens as well, people with issues around substance use, um, and also homeless <clears throat> men, um, primarily out of the hate street district of San Francisco, uh, was realized that there was an opportunity to bring the same marginalized populations and give them higher paying professional jobs and career track employment. So, um, and I was the example of that when I started working with Jeff um, <clears throat> in 1999, I had been at Walden House here in San Francisco, which is a little different place now, but it was a two-year residential treatment program. And I did that time there and some time in county jail in lieu of going to the California Department of Corrections and, you know, and I say this in quotation marks, rehabilitation. So um, what we learned as sort of a test case at Ashbury Images previously was that there are marginalized people looking for a lot more. And we fall into the belief that with 85% of HR professionals, that when you hire returned citizens specifically, you get people that are as good or better at the jobs than individuals being hired directly off the street, because there's a level of loyalty and care and thoughtfulness around the work um, that really comes from adversity, quite honestly. So <clears throat> we can talk about this the entire time if you'd like to. It is really yeah. my life's work. So There's, it's something I'm super passionate Kevin, about. Kevin, this is just such an incredible story. And I'm sure like listeners will, there, there's just so many things in that, in that statement that you said there of even just like print shops don't do very good background checks, right? Like I'm thinking about it too, right? Uh, but how much of an impact you can make on a person's life with the business that you run. I'm curious, like this article will have to link to it a little bit um, with as much or as little detail as you'd like to go in. Could you tell us a little bit about your past? Yeah. So I, um, I mean, it's funny because so many people talk about their uh, kind of broken childhood or, you know, blame family members, et cetera. I mean, I certainly had childhood trauma. I mean, a lot of it was not really the fault of my parents. Um, and then as I got older, I got um, into the punk scene um, and was like going to shows at like 16, 17 years old. I lived, we lived outside of Detroit at that point. So it was places like the hungry brain, which is no longer. And, you know, um, then when I got a little bit older, I actually got into baking and um, I was a baker at a bakery in Santa Rosa, California for seven years, six years. And we did a lot of drinking after shift. You know, it was like, a, it was like a 410. So we would have three days off in a row and I worked Monday through Thursday. I managed the bakery and <clears throat> my best friend worked there too. And we would literally go from the bakery to the bar immediately after work. And so that's where it really started for me to like kind of become a problem. It wasn't, I, I started to notice I wasn't quite like the other kids around alcohol and substances. And so I, um, at that point, um, you know, it's kind of like, I don't mean to be cliche, but I had a tough breakup and, and I didn't deal with it well. I didn't have the tools to emotionally handle the fact that this person no longer wanted to be around me. And so I dove harder into drugs and alcohol. And what age is this, Kevin? Um, I was about 25, 26 at that point. Um, but the drinking had been pretty constant from high school on. 
you know, and heavy. Like I, when I would go to parties with my friends, I would black out and I'd be like, what happened? And like, you don't remember, <laughs> you know? So I wasn't like at, at 16, 17, 18 years old, I wasn't drinking normally even then. Um, but it was kind of a part of, you know, the, we, there was definitely some genetic, uh, some genetic influence there. My, my, both my parents, uh, their parents were, were alcoholics and had some mental health issues. And so there was definitely some gen- genetic influence. And, and, um, we, we grew up in a house where we just moved around a lot. My dad was in retail and he was, a, a hot, like up there, he was managing shopping centers. And, you know, so there was a lot of like, Oh, we need you to go to this town for a little while and kind of fix this issue. And he was really good at his job. So they often had problematic, like business situations where he would go in and fix it. Um, and so I never really felt like I had those kind of roots. So it was always like, I'm the new kid. I'm like, I'm a little weird, you know, and dye my hair, shave my head and all that stuff. And I just wasn't quite, you know, didn't quite fit in. And, but, you know, I started touring with my bands too. That was part of the reason I was a baker. I'd work all, all year and then take most of the summer off and tour. And it just gave me the opportunity to kind of have a little bit of a flexible life. And, um, then I, uh, you know, then I got worse. I started using pills and then eventually heroin. And I'll say, you know, it's really sad what's going on right now with the fentanyl crisis in the country. And, mm-hmm. and especially San Francisco has been hit pretty hard too. It's been brutal. We've, I mean, we've lost like a thousand times more people to overdose than to COVID over the last four years. Um, it's insane. It, it's, it's getting worse, quite honestly. And hopefully there's a few people doing some real interesting work that are hopefully going to get their service level um, approach to the masses. I'm, I'm hoping so we'll see, but, um, um, you know, I, I, and then I started doing stuff like shoplifting and just the stuff that goes along with heroin use, which is pretty ugly. Cause you, you get to the point where you need to feed that habit. And, um, I, uh, ended up on the streets first in Portland. And then eventually we got back to San Francisco. I came back down here with a, with kind of an associate that used with me and I got in a lot of trouble. I started collecting, you know, felonies and misdemeanors and just doing crazy stuff beyond shoplifting, breaking into cars, using credit cards, things that get you landed in prison. And, um, again, I was lucky enough at that point, they were testing out a new idea called treatment on demand. And so what it was, was if you go to County jail and you're looking at any amount of time, you have the opportunity to opt out of doing a sentence and you can do, you could do long-term treatment in lieu of like a four-year prison sentence. And, so I kind of gleefully volunteered for that because I did not want to go to prison. Um, and I just, I kind of, you know, there was something that happened. I had like one of those epiphanies where I, I knew my life could be better. I, I didn't really know how. So I just started listening and it wasn't easy. Like this place that I was in was a therapeutic community. It was based on the principles of, uh, of like the old, the old TCs that were, based in Synanon, which is another whole topic we could talk about for years and years. Essentially, the idea was that it was um, addicts helping addicts. Like you had to be accountable for a job in the house. You had to show up to your groups on time. We had the thing that we called the pond. It used to be called the game where you could sit around and kind of give each other, you know, shit for whatever you wanted. And there was no real rules around that, like except no threats of violence. And there was a lot of, I I did a lot of things in there, kind of broke the rules, tested the boundaries. And, but I also started going to 12 step outside of that and really digging into the things that would eventually be the things that were the foundation to keep me, um, you know, clean. So uh, I, you know, that was a lot of work in the beginning and it still is. I mean, 25 years, I still don't know much of anything. You know, it's like this stuff is, is a constant learning journey. It's not, It's not a destination in any way. So um, during the time that I got out of that, I was in there for almost two years or 18 months. They started to let me do a job search and I ended up, it was really hard to get a job with a felony, you know? So that's, that's like, that's like something I want to put a pin in because I had that experience of having a felony record and looking for work, even though I had this vast production management experience running the bakery, basically managing the business, it was still really hard. And you know, strangely enough, screen printing and baking are very similar processes because it's, <laughs> it's, it's science. I mean, people want to make it art. It's not, 
neither one of them are art actually baking is not an art nor is screen printing it's a science and so when you're when you're mixing inks when you're you know adding additives to those inks when you're um curing the inks all of that is very similar to mixing a, a proper um dough for bread making letting it rise the right amount of time baking at the right amount of time so when i was in a shop for the first time i was like man this really i had printed shirts for my bands you know just like water-based inks or speedball inks on you know on stuff we got from the from the from the uh, secondhand store but i'd never really understood that this was such a uh incredibly scientific process and so when i was in an actual shop i was like oh my god you have to like, how'd you get intro to a it. shop What's that? So that's that's the job I got. I ended up getting a job at a place called Ashbury Images in San Francisco. And at the time, they were, like I said, they were hiring formerly homeless men, people coming home from prison and people with addiction problems. And I was the admin 20 hours a week, maybe making like 20 bucks an hour. <clears throat> and um, I started just kind of wandering into the shop and I was like, ooh, what's this shiny thing, you know? And um, I taught myself in that shop how to print. Like I watched the guys do it. I started shooting screens myself. I started setting up the press. I learned how to manually print because um, I already had a little bit of experience with that. But the big thing for me was that like, I was like, I had this like vision of how things should run, you know, and it wasn't just like random. It wasn't just, you know, okay, hurry up and burn those screens. we got this next, next job coming up. It was like, okay, you need to lay out a schedule and you have to make sure that your screens are ready the day before because we want them fully dried. Make sure they're taped out correctly. Check for pinholes because at this time we we're still using film. Um, in fact, when I first started there, we were using a stat cam. But, um, <clears throat> and there was some Ruby list still laying around, which is completely insane. Um, and then... You have to make sure that the the inks are mixed, that everything's like ready to go. And so I started to develop like my own kind of operations. It also came from like the, the bakery, right? Like I, yeah, I, it's kind of right. interesting. What, what, what things did you bring from running the bakeries? I'll call it production side. I don't know what the proper word is, but like, yeah, yeah the kitchen, but it, I don't know. Kitchen feels like it minimalized it, but it's because it's so. No, it was a bakery. Mad. So the, the idea was that you, there was, there was some different things that happened in there. So we baked our bread from scratch. Everything was like, you know, either, either we used, um, um, like a wet yeast or we also had, um, you know, sourdough starter as well. Um, and so there was like a variety of things, especially with the wet yeast that had to be like done correctly. So you had to check the temperature of the flour, adjust your water temperature based on that, like put the right amount of, of, um, some kind of sugar. We used honey and, and molasses primarily and make sure that everything sort of like was correct for that morning. And similarly, you know, to me, like in the screen room, you're constantly checking the humidity and the temperature. You have to make sure that, that your exposure time is correct based on your kind of climate and your emulsions that you're using. And each emulsion batch may be slightly different. Each, each yeast batch might be slightly different. So temperature and humidity control were important in both um, scenarios. Um, how you sort of lay out your day. So for example, if I'm going to if I've got 10 jobs, I want to make sure that I have all those screens ready at least 24 hours in advance. I want to make sure that I have my inks mixed. I want to make sure that there's, that all my shirts are staged, that everything is set up. So prep is incredibly important in both scenarios, right? You want to prep everything and you want to know what's going on and have a, a really strong list. Like if, if I'm going to print um, 10 jobs, you know, a few hundred shirts each, I want to make sure everything's ready to go before I walk in the door. And if not, I want to have some, I want to stagger that schedule so that I have press tech in there setting up the press. So it's ready to go when I walk in the door, if I'm printing or if I'm the production manager, same thing with baking. I'm, I staggered the schedule to make sure that we had somebody in there preparing the first part of the dough, which we called a sponge so that it was sitting rising so that we could add the additional flour, get it on the big Hobart mixer, and then let it have the second rise by the time all the, the people that were needing came in. So by the time all the people that are, printing come in and catching or, you know, tailing or whatever people call it at the end of the dryer, wherever they're, they're living. Um, I want that job already. Like we've got the strike off. It's been approved. Go. Right. I want that, that dough we've got, it's risen twice. We want to dump it on the table and need it. It's ready to go. What about on the people management side? Did you pull any stuff there from running the bakery into the, to the shop? 
Well, I think it was the staggered uh, times primarily, and then making sure that we had people cross-trained in case somebody was sick. All right, real quick, I got to tell you something. This is really interesting, and here's why. We formed a company called Inktavo. You may have heard of it, but it has three different brands right now, Printavo, Inksoft, and Graphics. So we're all sister companies now, a big happy family. What we're able to do is Printavo's managing your shop management and workflow organization. Inksoft can run your website and handle online stores at scale. So running multiple different stores for fundraisers, schools, um, company stores, and everything in between. And Graphics Flow is a brand new product to be able to help reduce all the back and forth with art. So it has a huge art library that you can put on your website so customers can see and pluck what they want. Plus, you can also be able to collect different ideas and send them to customers to approve as well. Really, really cool. Plus, in-app editing. It's like Canva, but specifically for shops. All right, check it out. All those brands are on inktavo.com. That's inktavo.com. All right, thanks. Kevin, I'm, I'm curious. When I hear you talking about there's something in the way that you just kind of said, like, like you obsessed over how things should go. Mm-hmm. Is there anything of your past that is maybe like, and, and I don't know the best way to put this, but like, you know, I, I've always thought like there's, there's people that are like addicted to business that are addicted to their craft or whatever that might be. Is there, is there anything of your past that you are like channeling into this craft of printing or baking or whatever that may be? Cause there's something about the way you're just talking about it right there. Maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm seeing it a little differently, but is there something, is there, is, is that, is that your life's high now? Like, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely uh, an amount of obsessive behavior that goes along with certain sort of jobs, right? And when I train people at Social Imprints, um, what one of the things that we, what I, which I would tell them all the time, you're not going to figure out where the problem is unless you're doing things the same way every day. So you need to make sure that when you set up the press, you set it up the same way every day. What's your print order? Do you put inks in the screens before you put them on the press or after you put them on the press? I don't necessarily have to micromanage that part of it because I want each person that's setting up to do it the way that's most comfortable for them, but I want them to do it the same every day. So because that way you can eliminate problems, right? If you start going off script and doing things differently, you're going to have kind of, you're not going to know how to troubleshoot that because it's like, what in the process did you not do? Oh, you know, you know, it's like, you don't really know. <laughs> right. Uh, You're like the second person. I make that's, things, uh, remember Jonathan from last week? Uh, we interviewed uh, someone, Kevin, who, uh, yeah, he, yeah. he had the same noise of, uh, what went wrong here? And he had the same thing back. Yeah. Well, that's a lot <laughs> of the, what happens. And I think people show up thinking that we're making art, you know, and they're going to do it like they did it in, college art class or whatever. And if you're, if you're trying to print, you know, whatever, 5,000 prints a day on a single press or more, you're you're not doing art. That is not art. I don't care what you say. Like it's not art. So what, what in the process went wrong? When you say, I don't know, that generally means you didn't do the same thing you did yesterday because that would be embedded in your brain at that point. Kevin, like, as I have talked to shop owners, like their number one complaint is like employee turnover, employee accountability or employee responsibility, right? Like can't get anyone to show up to work. Um, you had an opportunity at a print shop that took on individuals um, with pasts and there was definitely a, an amount of patience that they must have had there. Like what's it like at social? Imp- I mean, you're, you're obviously doing a lot of the same work, how much patience do you have to have every single day because you know you're maybe dealing with individuals that m- might still have issues, right? I think that's the big thing is everybody that's an employee in a production scenario has issues. Just just to be totally honest and blunt. I'm not like I don't think that what we're what we've done or what we're doing is necessarily that much different than any other shop. I think what has happened Here's a really great example. So when I was at Ashbury Images, we had a production manager who would show up, not really be ready for the day, 
you know, he would like, he was talented enough to kind of like fake it a lot, but his flaws showed up and he had issues with coming in on Monday. You know, Monday was a, Monday was a holiday every week in some ways. And I just, at one point was like, okay, enough. And I, I, there was a, a new guy working with us that had been there maybe like eight months or a year. And so, you know, he mostly just been catching shirts and pack packaging stuff and getting stuff ready to ship really hard worker there every day on time, usually early, like just had something about him that I really liked. And so I walked in on Monday and, and dude wasn't there. And I was like, okay, Miguel, you're on the press. Let's go. And he'd never printed before. And I'm like, I'm going to teach you how to do this. We're going to learn how to do it in a week and you're going to be printing. And he's like, Oh my God, no way. You know? And this was 17 years ago. He still works for me. He's one of our, our kidders for our warehouse, which is a very, very important job because our clients are people like Stripe and Oracle, et cetera. And we have to send out like new hire kits and they need to be perfect. And he's a QC master. Like he'll pull shirts out and bring them to me if the print is like the, the and he knows the tolerances, but he shows me anyway, is like three quarters of an inch off on a left chest one way or the other. So he became the production manager there. We started social imprints. He came to work for us. And in full transparency, last year, because of COVID and the lack of people buying screen printed items the last few years, it was rough. Like people didn't want to buy size stuff, right? And we're a promotional products distributor. So we were having all of our, like the screen printing side of what we were doing was like just the the numbers were like, and then promotional products were like going crazy. Kidding was going crazy. Like all this stuff that we were doing that was custom was going crazy. And um, so we actually sold our screen printing equipment to my a friend of mine at Starfish down the street. And he does all our printing basically on our press now because we just had one auto anyway. It was more a lot of what we did. It was a little more, you know, training and kind of getting people into it. And we that issue that you're talking about, we could not get people to show up especially during COVID. It was just done. Like we couldn't. And so we were bleeding money from the screen printing side of our business. And we're, we're a big business. We did $20 million in sales last year. So, yeah. So, you know, that it just wasn't working. It was like a, it was seriously like we would like put a bandaid on it and then it would just hemorrhage again. And there was Wait, like money are you more, all- are you more profitable now from subbing out your screen printing to the guy you sold than you yes. were before? Yes. And I'll tell you why is because we weren't getting enough jobs to get us like over that hump. San Francisco of owning it in house, you're saying. Yeah. Square footage in San Francisco is insane. Uh, Electricity and power in San Francisco is insane. We're in a very old building. We're in a former TV studio. So we had a thousand amps coming in, but how those were distributed in terms of energy efficiency, not so much. You know, um, and then the square footage is more expensive. I mean, we get a good price, but it's still more expensive. We so did, you were able to downsize the the footprint. Yeah, so we didn't downsize our footprint. What what my co founder came up with was that we make more money kidding gifts for our clients than we did on printing in house. So we expanded the the warehouse facility, offered all our screen printers jobs in the warehouse. Not all of them took it, but Miguel did. And then there was another guy that became our shipping and receiving manager. Um, so, and then there was a few other people that stuck around for a while and then eventually left. But um, what we were able to do was because Calvin at Starfish is just over the city limit line and, and he's in Daly City. He can charge us less than we had to charge ourselves for printing in-house. And it doesn't matter whether or not we get enough jobs to make our rent in that square footage, right? Just because doesn't matter. We're yeah, we're not paying that square footage for that, nor are we paying employees to work in there. Because of where we're, the proximity of where we are in the world, we live in the in the city that's the most expensive per square foot anywhere on the globe right now. I mean, San Francisco is ridiculous, and it, the rates did not go down during COVID substantially. I mean, definitely rental rates did because so many people left, but not commercial rates. So, you know, it was just a really interesting situation that we were in. And so what we realized was let's just get people, we can do the tra- same training, but we can do it on, on, um, the warehouse side 
And what year did you sell? What year did you sell everything on that? I think it was. I think it was the end of 2021, like September, October 2021. So we had one full. We've had one full year of subbing, and our net profit is like was like through the roof last year. It's interesting. Um, I hear from this more and more of the bigger the businesses get, the more happy they are about finding a source that is great and not worrying about it. <laughs> right. Like I feel like when you're first starting out, you want to keep under everything under your roof and try to do it all. And then you're like, Oh, stickers go here. This goes there. Well, and you I, know. I still talk to all of our screen printers because, you know, and not in an arrogant way, a lot of them, I've done this a lot longer than they have. You know, some of the guys that are running shops now are very young and they haven't had the experience yet. You know, of like, what do you do when, um, you know, v- VMware calls and they're offering you this per print and, but you got to complete the job by this time and you're not quite sure you can make it. And, you know, because I, I was like, I was the operations person at motion company when they were running, you know, all the, all those MHM presses and they were doing stuff for VMware and they were doing stuff for major league baseball. And, you know, so we had, I had a ton of experience doing like the bigger stuff, the stuff that people dream of, which ends up being not necessarily a bottom line, great choice. You know, a lot of times just working with a small promotional products distributor that pays their bills on time and will will gladly pay the upcharges to get stuff done on time is a much better profit margin. You know, even if you're because if you have like a MHM or a, a rock press or or the the new um the newer kind of trilocks on the MR presses. I'm not talking about MR presses from like, you know, the 90s. I'm talking about the new ones. Um, you're going to be able to set jobs up, up really quick. So that setup becomes less of an issue. So you can do like 10 jobs and make a shit ton more money on profit because you can charge more for those, right? But if you're taking these massive, massive contract jobs and you're tying up like you've got, say, five presses, you're tying them all up for four days to get, you know, 100,000 shirts out or whatever for for VMware, it's like, is the profit margin really there? So you guys don't do any, so like as a promotional products distributor, um, I have a couple questions on that. Uh, cause I think a lot of shops always say like, I want to get into promo, you know, um, get into promo, get into promo. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, so you guys don't decorate anything. Like it's all coming finished or do you guys have pad printers and stuff like that? We have, we, so we have, we have heat presses, so we will okay. do customizations for, for shirts and that and apparel and that kind of stuff. We have a hat press as well. So we can do trucker hats because who doesn't love a good trucker hat. And, um, sure. and then we also have, we have portable equipment. So we have three of the, um, uh, the Riley Hopkins tabletop presses. Um, I think, no, oh, no, I think they're, they're workhorse now. So we have three workhorse presses, four colors, single station, that we can take to events and we have like three Vastex dryers. So we have those crated in, you know, in like fiber cases that we can roll into events. And then there's a really great shop, a really great um, um, supplier in South San Francisco. Um, and they, they basically um, Anthem um, and they, they, they basically shoot screens and, and they don't mix ink, but they shoot screens for us. So we can use like a more portable size screen. Um, and we can do like little one color live event printing jobs. So, and we've done huge ones. Like we, for ourselves, for promotion, we've set up at South by Southwest, set up two presses run all day long, every day during the trade show with like a sh- showroom on a 40 by 40 booth. So we basically set up our entire shop and showroom on the floor of South by Southwest. But, you know, I have an event coming up for Meta where we're printing bandanas or whatever, like just, there's just these opportunities to go live print because people love it. So we're still printing. Miguel still manages all those events. And, and, you know, I do the the coordination of getting stuff there. If they need an extra print on it, like a sleeve, like we'll send it over to Calvin at Starfish or we'll send it to, to East Bay screen printing and have them knock out the extra, the extra print. Um, But we, so we're still printing. We're just not doing big in-house jobs. Um, yeah. And we can still set those up and do like a little demo for people if they're interested. Okay. So the second half of that question was, were you always, did you like, as you started social, did you always start with the promo in, in mind or did you lean yeah. more into, so promo was always a big part of what you were we doing? We were a 100% contract shop when we started. We moved into a facility on Folsom Street in San Francisco about four years or five years after we started. That's when we installed our presses. 
and started printing because we had more floor space. And at that size, it made a lot more sense to print for ourselves because we had the option of doing like free samples and things like that, that we would get charged for from contract printers. Could you, okay. So like you, you said something very quickly is like, yeah, we do $20 million. That's that raises some eyebrows. Um, could you talk about the progression of that? Maybe every, like, was there a massive spike in the business or a year where the company just like doubled? Has that just been steady yeah, that's growth? Happened. That's happened what? a couple of times. We've had a couple of years where we've doubled in growth. Um, we, so we, we kind of like built a ton of momentum at first, like the first five or six years, then things were a little flat. And then um, we started Wait, how? again. Like, how, how did you build a momentum there? So here, it's really interesting actually. So we, um, when we started, we were doing music merchandising um, because we kind of took over another business of mine. Um, and so at the time I was printing for like, the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, TV on the radio, Grizzly Bear, all the like the art rock bands out of the East Coast. And then, you know, supporting them on tour, doing all that stuff. And then I ran into Jeff, who was the guy that hired me at Ashbury Images when I first got out of, you know, rehab. And he asked me what I was doing. And I'm like, well, I'm doing this little merchandising business. I'm working for Tom, a promotion company. Like there was a few things I had going on. And he said, let's, let's, um, let's start a, a new business, a new social enterprise. And both those businesses were just businesses. There was no social like context at all. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And we agreed upon a promo products company and because we knew that industry really well and it just made sense. And so, um, we moved into the office that I had in downtown San Francisco, which was in the Phelan building. It's a, like a really old kind of classic building. It's like a flat iron building that sits on a corner and does that kind of triangle. And we, it was like when things were really starting to boom, it was 2008, 2009, when like the first bubble of tech had burst and the new tech companies were starting. And this little company called Dropbox moved in upstairs from us and they had 25 employees and some of my guys at that time smoked. So, that, so they'd be outside smoking and just chatting with the other, you know, tenants that smoked. And at one point, one of the guys was from Dropbox and he's like, Oh, we need business cards. So we did our first job for them was 50 business cards for a 25 person company. Meanwhile, they're getting investments, they're growing, right? At the peak of our relationship with them, and we still print for them, they've left and come back twice now. Um, so we're, we're their official merchandise company. Again, we just signed, we just won the RFP like a year and a half ago. So at the peak of their business with us, they were doing $1.6 million in business with social imprints. When, when people in the tech industry leave and go elsewhere, they love to bring the vendors along. Because uh, they're jumping around every love one, it. two years. It's so, it makes their lives so easy. They get the same rep. There's no... So what we were focusing on was recruiting, um, HR, events. So we were in these companies focusing on the things where they were actually making merchandise, right? And people would leave. And they would have had such a good experience working with social imprints. They would tell whoever it was they were, they moved to Pinterest, Asana, right? Um, Facebook, et cetera. You know, we were working with this company. They're also a social enterprise. Like they're really awesome. Never had an issue with our orders, et cetera. And, and we, we just got like, kind of like dragged along this incredible growth <laughs> so, so you're all yeah. about turnover in the tech space. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pro turnover. No offense, my wife worked at Salesforce, so I don't want to. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, um, no, that, that's, that's really interesting. Like, it's not surprising. And I've, when we met a couple other, other, other folks in like this, this world, like Jeremy Parker from swag.com, that's what he kind of told us. Like I was at Facebook and then I did, you know, all of WeWork stuff and then this and that. Um, it's fun to work in that space because there's a lot of, a lot of ammo and they really take care of their employees and people and stuff like that. It's a very well-funded space. It is. Um, I mean, except right now it's not, but you know, cor that's correct. Um, do you, do you think a lot of that success is like being in San Francisco, being in that scene, like, like connecting with those type of people? Cause a shop listening to this would be like, I want to do what 
what social does. And it's like, eh, it doesn't, doesn't really work like that. You know, I mean, they're, they're smoking well, so what, with the, the people <laughs> in yeah, HR and marketing yeah. and everything. Yeah, I know. Like the engineers would be out there like, I got to finish this code, you know? Um, but the, so one of the things though, that I want to be really clear about is it, it wasn't also that simple. Like, so I kind of joke and we're like, oh yeah, people left. And they went here, here's the bottom line. We do and have continued to do an incredibly good job of servicing our customers. And I will give a ton of praise to our account management team, specifically our director of sales, Nathan Whiteside, who has learned how to work with these companies that are multi-billion dollar companies. And what we try to focus on is getting, not getting them what they want, because what they want could be completely out of the question, what they need. So identifying those needs and really working when finding the right account manager for each account, right? So, you know, I might not be the best person to work with Oracle, but Dropbox loves me. And even if we make a mistake, I can talk them, talk to them and work things out, right? So it, it just, it really depends on personality and what people's focus are in the company. We run 50 web stores um, and all of them, um, are very unique and individual. We've built our own apps for Shopify. So we followed along with this and we were one of the first promotional products companies to have web stores for our clients before bright stores, before all this stuff, you know, that made it easy. We were like figuring out how to build apps for Shopify because the things that we wanted were not available. They just Did weren't you trade, there. Uh, no Shopify thing. subscriptions for t-shirts or no? Shopify stock like seven years ago. <laughs> I wish I would have bought stock in one. A lot of these companies. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I started using Shopify, let's see, 2015, 2014. It was 30 bucks a share. Um, and I was using Store Envy before that, uh, but dabbled around with, with all of those. It's interesting, like, you guys sell solutions. You just so happen to sell promo products. And I think that that's, if there's something that I keep taking away, it's like you sell, you sell relationships, you sell account management, you sell solutions, you sell pro problem solving. Like everyone's a t-shirt printer. Everyone can buy the same pro promo products. There's no secret to that. But I think like what I'm hearing is you dig into the relationships and the people and the technology. If a shop isn't offering e-commerce right now, how much of a, like, how hard is it to get into it? Any advice? Well, they're, they're definitely um, losing money if they're not offering it. I think um, there's a lot of solutions out there now that are, that are really, really efficient at managing um, fulfillment. You know, not always necessarily 3PLs, um, but there's, if you go on to, like, for example, the Shopify app store, you can find a bunch of people that will do your fulfillment for you. So you don't need to have a huge warehouse. You just need to be able to produce product, create SKUs and get it to where it needs to go. And they'll deal with everything else. So I, if, the, if, you're, if you're like, oh, I don't have enough space because I have all this printing equipment, that's untrue. If you're like, oh, I can't do it because I don't understand the technology, that's untrue because it's really simple. So you're, are you um, kidding and sending it to the 3PL to, to handle? We have 25,000 square feet. We don't have to send it out. Got it. And we have so you're doing your own, you're your own 3PL. Yeah. yeah, we have additional storage in the space. So at some point we will we'll need it elsewhere. We have a partner in EMEA. We have, an, we have a partner in, in APAC. So we don't have to do any of the work there um, for these global companies. And I think one of the things that sets us apart is that we've constantly been improving our technology. We have our own ERP that runs all of the, the wholesale orders that connects with our accounting software. And we're building a portal for so when clients order like a thousand t-shirts, they'll be able to just go in and reorder them, no problem. Um, already, you know, they can see their designs, et cetera. But we're we're building that out to be a little more efficient. Um, and we that's our this is our second version of it. So we've had this since 2010, and we're we're we just re reversioned it this year, and it's crazy. I mean, everything we the the POs go automatically to the vendors, like you know, it's it allows them to enter tracking number into the portal. Um, so a lot of it is that we've developed our own technology and we're, you know, we're probably going to at some point, um, not, not be on Shopify necessarily, but it's been a good partner and we're a plus development shop. So we have developers that build apps for plus, um, and you know, I mean, technology wise, like 
I'd put what we do up against anybody in this industry, including the big guys, BDA and and Halo. I think we're we're as good or better. Yeah, you you mentioned the first growth like trajectory was this sort of stage one yep. <clears throat> with kind of networking and just going over the top with a lot of these customers and and uh, handling their stuff, especially as they were young companies back in late yep. two thousand eight to ten or so. What what was another you know big growth trajectory year? Well, I think offering the the technology and the warehousing and, you know, really like following the lead of the companies we were working with, um, because we really were early on. I mean, like Shopify was maybe a couple of years old when we started using it. Maybe <laughs> like we could only do really basic stores at that point. I mean, there just wasn't anything there. There was. So like, that was like employee you, fulfillment uh, type work. Yeah. Or was that also. OK, so anybody could yeah. buy their stuff. They had a customized store. What year was that? It's like a pre-orders. Before? Yeah. Yeah, we did a lot of pre-orders, tons. Um, probably like 2011-ish. I mean, we met. I think we met uh, Dropbox. That's when you were doing it. I think you met Tobias. Steven. No, tr- uh, Dropbox in 2010. So we'd only been around two years when that started, and then we um, we pushed the technology really hard. We had different warehouses. We had a warehouse in West Sacramento, right next to Motion Company. At one point, we had one down in South City, and then we eventually got this giant. Uh, in, in the the TV station that was there is like sort of local famous. It was called Coffee TV Twenty, and they used to do this show called Dance Party. So every time I mentioned that the the space to a local that grew up here, they're like Dance Party, you know. Um, and like, it was like a thing. It was like the American bandstand of San Francisco. So, you know, it was, it was like, uh, like, it's a fun, it's a fun story. And so what we did was we just basically gutted the inside of the warehouse cause they had big sound stages back there and we, we built, you know, we built out racks. And then at first we installed screen printing equipment and then we took it out and now it's just like storage, kidding, you know, picking and packing single. Kevin, items. how, how we, many employees do you have now? Uh, I think we're 35 right now. And we're hiring a few more right now. We're, we're Do you guys market. have your own in-house engineers? We we have one, and then we have we we do um, we have a development team that we've worked with for many years out of India that have like come together out of all the different people we've contracted to, so they know our systems in and out. And we have a, and so like uh, who manages that site? Like you said, you had a co-founder as well. How do you guys divide and conquer the company? Because it sounds like. There's such a great account management sales side. There's oh, the, a great the, tech the, side. We, yeah, we have directors in every department now. I don't do much, quite honestly. I I, um, I I talk about what we do and I do a lot of like individual project management. Like I got a SOC 2 certified this this last year. So we're, we're a SOC 2 compliant company, meaning that all of our data is protected in a way that uh, adheres to a very specific um, mm, like public set companies. of rules. Yeah. And, and the, the, normally it's tech companies that do that. Um, but we're, you know, we're working with so many tech companies that we want to be that badass. And I don't know of any other promotional product distributors that have their SOC 2 um, uh, approval. When were um, you out of the, I don't want to say out of the business, but out of the business. <laughs> so we, we started hiring directors a few years ago and um, it's happening more now. I've, I've kind of bounced around. So I've done like sales, a lot of sales, a lot of business development, a lot of like following up with clients because I tend to be more of the spokesperson for the company. I'm more out front than, than everybody else. And, um, I have the story that goes along with our mission. So it's a really good fit for me to be talking about that stuff. And then, um, so I moved out of, of the business development, um, like a year and a half ago. And then I had sort of a family thing where I took two months off last year. Um, and then we realized like, I don't really need to be here. So I'm actually going to be like, not day to day at all. I'm going to, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a, um, a consultant for the company. I'm still going to be an owner. So I'm going to be doing like very specific projects, especially around business development, where if like we have an event that we're going to, where we want to like do a sponsorship and be there, I'll probably be there with our team to, to develop the business. Um, and just to be totally honest, my heart is really with, um, like working with, formerly incarcerated returned citizens, you know, and that's what I want to be doing. Um, and so down the road, we're looking at a nonprofit that will partner with a local community college to bring um, their reentry students over to social imprints for a, um, 
for an apprenticeship program and then do job placement into our partners, whether it's clients, uh, competitors, uh, suppliers, um, once we get them sort of trained. And so it'll be like six months at SI and then hopefully a transfer of the apprenticeship to um, another business. And there's incredible tax breaks for, for apprenticeship programs in the U.S., which are underutilized, highly utilized in Europe, terribly, terribly done in the U.S. Um, and it's the single best way to get people trained into your systems. Um, and the government will pay you for it. So, you know, we're going to try to develop that. Um, what directors then do you have? Because I, I, I do think that people, if they're not able to now, will envision themselves getting to a stage where they can be more on top of the business. W what are those different roles for them to target? So director of sales, um, finance, logistics. We have um, the under, then we're going to, we're starting a COO position that will oversee, which is some of the stuff I used to do way back when. But Jeff's our CEO. His goal is to to create new vision and new programs to expand the company, which will include this nonprofit. He'd work. He'd work specifically with like business development, finance, and um, and concentrate on HR stuff to make sure that we're a really good company to work for. Um, and then the CEO would look at things like, you know, work with logistics, our technology team, um, graphics, purchasing and sales. And then essentially we would have a director of sales, director of technology, director of finance, director of logistics. And then the, the Jeff and, and this new role sitting on top of those in various ways. So, um, and it's, it's time, like we desperately need that new role because Jeff's time is so in the weeds um, and it shouldn't be. Um, he should be working on programs to expand the business. And, and, you know, so that's, that's happening. And so I'm, I'm working with a couple of nonprofits to do some programs that I'm super excited about, but they're still a little under wraps. So I'm going to just leave it at that, but it's, uh, it's good. And then I've been <clears throat> chatting with um, our friends over at Bella canvas about different ways to, to sort of, you know, work with printers. They had Tom Davenport, sort of their director of decoration for a long time, but he he's doing Made Lab now. And Tom and I were are really good friends. Like he's one of the people in the industry I've known forever and I worked with. So Motion Company was Tom's company and I was the director of operations there. Ah, uh, okay. Super <clears throat> cool. Yeah. I think um I think what's interesting is what I'm hearing is like to be able to work on what you want, you've now put people in place, trusted them and then let go. Right. Like you own the company, but you're like, no, nah, I'm not going to be the CEO. There's someone better suited for that so that yeah. I well, can Jeff, work on what yeah, I want. Jeff's always been the CEO. I was more the operations guy and, but he was in the weeds too much or he's been in the weeds too much. And I, you know, I just like, I've got two kids, very different in age. I've got like a, a crazy old hundred year old house that I live in that we're constantly having to do stuff to. And, and then I have all this other stuff, you know, like I have, I do a podcast and one of my shows, we developed a documentary series that's now going to be, um, distributed by PRX. So, you know, I, and that's all around incarceration. And so there's a lot of, and you know, we like, there's a lot of stuff going on in my life that isn't related to SI necessarily directly, but sort of loosely. Um, and it allows me the opportunity to step back. And when they need me to come in and do interviews like this or do interviews for, cause I've done a ton lately, you'll see like that the SF standard that you, you mentioned the SF business times. Um, I've done like three other podcasts in the last few months with different people. Um, and then I do my own. I do like a, a punk podcast where we interview grown up punks that are doing cool shit that I that I like really look up to in different ways. And then I do the the one about mass incarceration. And that one kind of took off because my co-host on that, his story won the Pulitzer Prize in 2022. And so there's like all this stuff happening that is not related directly to social imprints, but could benefit the business based on just a higher profile for me, you know? So I, I think finding that balance is going to be important. And I really feel like the business is in like super good hands anyway. And Jeff has been really the guy the whole time we've been in business. He's been the CEO since the start. And, you know, we, I think putting new people in the higher director positions is a really, it's like a going to be a major, major, um, you know, good, choice for the company 
or, you know, positive choice. So. Kevin, if you could give some advice to shops who are interviewing, um, new employees every single day that might have uh, things on their record, what advice could you give us all as interviewers, business owners, because you've obviously had some, started too, or getting them started. Cause I think there's, you know, yeah, there's I mean, some good learning moments that we can all take as business owners that you've obviously implemented and, and, and have seen awesome success from. And I'll be honest, it sounds daunting, right? Like it sounds like this is sort of an extra problem, which may not be the case. And so, yeah, how do you, how do you open that up? So there's a ton of resources out there. I will say the best that I've found is there's a company, a background check company called Checker, checker.com, and it's C-H-E-C-K-R.com. Um, we use them. They have a fair chance um, employment playbook that they offer. You just have to give your email address, so they'll mark it to you after that. But they offer like how to bring in return citizens to your workforce really good suggestions. Um, I think the the biggest thing that I tell people is just keep an open mind, like make sure that you are, um, you understand that these are just other human beings that are looking to support their families, you know, and really as a community, what do we owe people that have done kind of, they've served their time. They've done, you know, what society has asked to make up for the mistake they made. And a lot of the men and women that are coming out now have had the, over the last, you know, 10 years have had the ability to do program in prison. And so San Quentin's a great example. I run a program that does resume writing and interview skills, but it's much more. It's like a confidence class where you learn how to actually talk to employers about your past. Um, and it's rigorous. It's 14 weeks and the guys are expected to be there on time every week to the class with their homework done. And if not, I have the option to ask them to leave. My commitment to that agreement is that I'm there on time. What are like really specific ones that apply? So like, is it like that of like, you have to be on time when you're showing up or, or you, you don't get a second chance or like, I, uh, I, I would say whatever rules apply to your regular employees, start mm -hmm. with that. Um, let people know, essentially your other employees know that you're, you're offering this opportunity so they can like, you know, talk about their comfort levels with that and have an open conversation with employees. Um, make sure that you're rigorously interviewing them like you would anyone else. Right. Um, and talk specifically about the job function and make sure that they're, that's something that they, they want to and are committed to doing, you know, because I, I think a lot of the problems that we run into is that we hire people that are like, yeah, yeah, I need a job. I need a job. But is screen printing really the job you need or is it the job you're taking because you can't find anything else in this tiny little town we live in, you know, and you're going to get gems out of that from time to time anyway. But I think, you know, there's a lot of opportunity around um, fair chance employment where you'll get people that not only need the job for obvious reasons, but are, will be incredibly committed and loyal because of the opportunity that has been handed to them. And, you know, but don't let them not work for it. You know, like every other employee, like give promotions and raises based on merit, you know, make sure that they understand that, that there's a certain level of expectation as far as what they produce every day. You know, like a lot of people that have been in institutions really do well with, with rules and, you know, understanding what the rules are, they're going to be a lot more, um, sort of ready to accept them because they've been dealing with rules their entire lives, many of them. Right. And so just be really thoughtful and careful, um, in hiring like you would with any other position. And I, I, I guarantee just what I tell businesses is give it a shot once and you know, it may not be for you. That's fine. But I, most of the time, 85% or plus the time, you're going to find out that you've hired an employee that is loyal, hardworking, willing to learn anything and able to communicate. And that's what we need out of employees in general, you know, and that's been my experience. And yeah, I, I guess you're right. There's, there's a, there's a stigma. Maybe that overshadows like the, uh, that's what it the is. Ability to actually fear. manage correctly. Yep. It's fear. It's, it doesn't have anything to do. You just treat everybody the same. There's no, there's no difference. And I guarantee you, you already have most shops already have somebody that serves some time in there. 
and their All right, staff. I got a specific question around this then. Um, wh- like what types of backgrounds are okay? Because I've had an issue where there was a person that applied that I was like, I this person can't be around or other people would not feel comfortable around this person. Yeah, like what are your non-negotiables? <clears throat> right, so where, where's the line there? We don't have any non-negotiables at Social Inference. Um, so we, but we are democratic and if somebody brings to our attention that they're on like the sex registry or something else we talk to the other employees about their comfort levels and everybody gets a voice so you can come to us with whatever that doesn't mean we're going to hire you and but that means that we're going to if we like you if like you're the director who's interviewing for that job and jeff and whoever else is in that interview likes the person they will you know we will talk about it as a team Kevin, will you get applicants that are still like they might be in treatment or they might still not be clean or like, are you like, Hey, I'm not sorry. Like you need to, we, 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 because we're such a high level company, we, we request that people have at least two years clean to come work for us. You got to get your head in order. It's really hard when you're first clean, especially if you're, you know, we've had a huge meth problem in, the, in California, fentanyl, et cetera. Fentanyl is a very different, the, the fentanyl, the way that it works versus other opioids is, is a very different sort of chemical, um, reaction. And you, ha- you end up having these, like the, them holding on the, to your receptors, the, you know, what you, the, the stuff you get from fentanyl is just hard to fight. It's really a hard drug to get clean from. And it's so prevalent in everything now. Um, so I think that that rule applies to that, especially, but you know, you've got to, got to get to a point where your life is somewhat stable. Um, to really be able to be your best at a job. I mean, there's no, I, I wish I could candy coat that, but you can't, it's just the reality of it. And we've hired people with less time and we've had disastrous results. So, um, you know, people high at work and, you know, lying to us about it. And we haven't had anyone specifically like steal or do anything too crazy. We've actually had more problems with, with bonded temps than we have with our staff around stuff like that. So, um, we try to be just diligent about, you know, it's a very rigorous interview process for SI because we have so many benefits that we want to make sure we're getting the right people. We pay higher than industry wages. Our starting pay is good. We do profit sharing. There's, you know, incredible health benefits. So we're, we try to be really careful about who we hire because it's, it's actually, in my opinion, you know, and I'm sure there's ex employees that would disagree with me. It's a privilege to work here. I mean, you, we wrote everybody a $12,000 check for profit sharing this year. You know, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's no joke. And, you know, the more we take on that attitude, the better for um, our existing employees. Like, yeah, it's a privilege to work here. We want the right people. We want people that really are dedicated to this job. I think what's like, you've raised the, the barrier, like, it's like, we're still going to meet with everyone, give them the opportunity, but it's also like, this is a privilege that we're giving you and and you need to earn that and, and continue to earn that. Um, which, you know, is hard to do as a company, right? Like that, all the things that you just talked about there, those are incredibly hard things to, to pull off. They are, I think, but right now specifically, and I can say this from a distance because I'm not involved in the day to day as much, the, be- they, the company has the best team it has ever had right now. If I was to take a snapshot of any time in the history of the business, and this isn't about personalities, there's plenty of people that I've really liked that have worked there. But as far as who is there right now and how they work with each other and who our directors are, this is by far the strongest set of employees that that company has ever had by far. So, you know, um, I think there's a huge upside to what's going on at Social Imprints right now for employees and for our clients. Kevin, uh, congrats on all the sales success. I was reading my notes of 20 minutes. I was like, that is so awesome. Congrats on all the success and sales. Um, this is really cool. Love to, to be able to keep in touch, especially, uh, if you're ever down in Los Angeles or if I'm up there, I'd love to swing by too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm down in LA a fair amount. I'm probably going to go down and see Bell Canvas in the next month or so. So I'd like to, okay. They're sweet. I love it. I love going um, there. Yeah. Love but, but I no, haven't Kevin, seen the headquarters yet. 
Oh, I've heard that's that's pretty sweet. But um, but Kevin, there's so much that um, shops can learn from you. Where can they follow you? Do you have you know you kind of yeah? You, so I'm on uh, I'm on all the socials. I'm really easy to find. Like if you do an inter- inter- uh, internet search of Kevin McCracken, San Francisco, you'll probably find um, my cell phone number. Unfortunately, um, so you know I um, social imprints is um, social imprints SF on Instagram. We post almost daily on there. Um, mostly stuff about just Kevin like, at social imprints. Yeah. Kevin at social imprints.com. And then the, my Instagram is grandpa Kev, which is another story that would take us hours to go through. But, um, uh, yeah. And I've post fun stuff. I was at, I was in Columbus this weekend and got to see like the Foo Fighters and one of the band that I was there helping, um, played with them like 27 years ago on their first tour. And then was open for Nirvana on one of Nirvana's last tours. So that Dave and Blake, it's on our Instagram, met and we're like talking. It was amazing. The, the the SF band is a jawbreaker and they got back together a few years ago at Riot Fest and have been been doing festivals and stuff. So it was like a really cool moment, you know. So there's all kinds of fun stuff on our Instagram. There's like cool suppliers and you know, we'll post this when it gets up and that's cool. Kevin, appreciate you joining us. Appreciate you guys all for listening every single week. I'm Bruce from Printavo. We'll see you guys in the next Print Hustlers episode. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Hopefully that was informative. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to like. Don't forget to hit the bell for notifications if you enjoyed this video. If you enjoy all the stuff we're putting out, it's really helpful. We love to just be able to see it. That means that we're doing a good job to subscribe, hit the bell for notifications and hit the like button. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.